I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. It's Friday, and that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup, where we break down the biggest local and state stories of the week. Now, this week, more than 250 new laws went into effect in Illinois. But the one that allows people to buy recreational pot legally grabbed all the attention. Legal marijuana is for sale in Illinois, and business is already booming. Hours into the new year. Jubilation at dozens of Illinois dispensaries. Where are you get high? Here are some chocolate edibles. Gonna enjoy this in the privacy of my space. Illinois Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton purchased edible gummies. It was a way to celebrate the new legal pot era for Illinois. Clementine orange or clementine orange gummies. And are you going to partake? Well, I, I might try one. It's legal in Illinois. <laughs> yes, <it is. laughs> Joining me now to discuss that story and much more are Chicago reporter, editor, and publisher Fernando Diaz, WBEZ city politics reporter Becky Vivi, and Chicago Tribune business reporter Ali Marotti, who kicks things off with a quick recap of how Illinois legalized marijuana. Yeah, so we have had medical marijuana here for a few years, and Governor Pritzker signed a law over the summer legalizing recreational use. And so it's been kind of a mad dash over the past six or seven months to get ready to start sales, which happened on Wednesday. And we should say that this was a move that was in the works for years. For sure. There were lawmakers that had introduced bills before. Um, When Pritzker was elected last year, he kind of said, I want to make this a priority. It's going to be one of the first things I do when I get into office. And he followed through on that. And just a quick rundown, a reminder of how much people can purchase, how much they can have, where it's legal to actually use it? Yeah. So in the city of Chicago, you can use it in your home, on your porch, in your yard, kind of private spaces. In public, you can't. You can't light up walking down the street. You can't light up when you're at the beach, that sort of thing. There are 37 dispensaries that are selling it around the state right now, recreational. Um, In total, there's 55 medical dispensaries, and they're all still selling to medical patients as well. Although I have heard that the medical patients are avoiding the long lines that have continued into a few days of the recreational sales here. Um, So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long those lines last. And you can buy... 30 grams, which is about as much as you can hold in your two cupped hands. Um, however, there's a shortage of products in the state right now, so most dispensaries have set limits that are much, much lower than that. Now, Fernando, we saw Illinois' recreational dispensaries pull in $3.2 million on that first day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the most any state pulled in on their day one of the legalization of recreational pod. What do we think this means for the state's bottom line and the cities? I mean, I, I think that uh, legislators are hoping that it continues. But as Ali said, there's going to be a shortage. We're going to have to wait and see through the next weeks. I'm curious to see what happens this weekend. I'm imagining that there were a lot of people on vacation or not wanting to brave those lines um, who are going to show up Saturday, Sunday, next week. I'd say it's still a little too early to tell. Um, Certainly, if it continues at this pace, which unfortunately, as we've seen in other states, it doesn't continue at that pace. It's not boom times forever. I think it's a strong start. um, And it's encouraging both that this was something that consumers and folks around the state wanted, and ultimately that it will help the bottom line. And Allie, how is it being taxed? So it's taxed differently based on what products you buy, right? So traditionally, you would just smoke a joint or put some weed in a bowl or a pipe and smoke that. Those products are available, the flour that's called, and that's what the main shortage is um, 
on there. Um, that's what the main buying limits are in place. But then there are other all these other products, right? THC-infused cookies, gummies, basically any edible you can imagine. There's concentrates that you can inhale via vape or other device. So the tax varies based on how much THC is in the product and whether it's an edible or not. And then additionally, you have your state and local taxes that are tacked on top of the state excise marijuana tax. And local municipalities can put up to 3% tax that they can get back as well in revenue. Now, Peggy, there was a moment a couple of weeks ago when black aldermen wanted to hold up the rollout of recreational dispensaries in Chicago. And Mayor Lori Lightfoot fought that tooth and nail. She won, clearly. But what are we hearing from aldermen and the mayor now that weed is legal and on sale in the city? Well, a lot of them are still on vacation. Mm -hmm. They haven't been around City Hall. But, you know, I do think that they're all watching with a keen eye to see how this is how these sales are rolling out at the medical dispensary shops. And I think their big push uh, for the Black Caucus of Aldermen was that all the medical marijuana dispensaries are not minority owned. And so they're getting a six month start. And I think what they're probably watching is all of this flood of applications for um, new dispensaries that are expected to be awarded in May or June. Who's going to get those? And will those go to minority-owned businesses and business owners on the south and west sides where there's a huge need for economic development. Well, as Becky's saying there, Allie, the window is now open for so-called social equity applicants to get licenses for their own dispensaries. And here's a bit of Chicago Democratic State Representative Selena Villanueva speaking about that on the first day of legal sales. It's just the beginning on expungements. It's just the beginning on social equity. And it's just the beginning on the dispensaries and the licenses that are to come for folks. So what is a social equity applicant? What does that process look like? Right now, there are the applications just closed for 75 new dispensary licenses. And those will be the first new business owners that can enter this industry. So it's a big deal. Um, a social equity applicant is someone who comes from an area that has been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, or they have a family member, or they themselves have been arrested um, for marijuana possession or some sort of other marijuana-related crime. Um, and what it means is that when you apply, because the state scores applications to get into this industry, um, you kind of get bonus points. You're also eligible to get loans that come from the state as well. And that's a big help because it costs a lot of money to get into this business. Now, Fernando, that's not the only social equity piece of this legislation. On December 31st, Governor Pritzker pardoned more than 11,000 Illinois residents with low-level marijuana convictions. How much of an impact do you think that move could have on those people's lives? I'm very curious. Um, we're actually looking at that right now because I think one of the things that we've seen is very few people are actually arrested and charged with one crime or one sort of misdemeanor possession of marijuana. Um, Ali and I were, were talking before we came on air. It's, you know, you get stopped and you get arrested and you get charged with multiple things, right? And so over time, it'll be interesting to see how many people benefit from having their records expunged, how much of their lives were negatively impacted by a charge versus continued patterns of enforcement in low-income communities of color that, you know, ultimately result in multiple charges over time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very encouraging to see that there is a very deliberate effort to expunge these um, these cases, these charges. Uh, the reality is that there are more than 500,000 people who are qualified for expungement. I know some of the initial forecasts for Confox's office are that it would take four years to get through all of that. So there's a little bit of like, 
we, we absolutely need to do this. I think, you know, the, the state legislators deserve a lot of credit for inking it into the law, but the proof is still unclear. And how many people, um, how are they prioritizing? We're looking at people who were arrested last month on, you know, low-level possession. Now, not this particular charge that was uh, eliminated, but there is still a war on drugs, and there are still people who are disproportionately being impacted. And so, you know, while there is a lot of positive intent in the social equity measures articulated in the law, we have to see what what actually happens. Becky, you're nodding along with Fernando. Your thoughts? Well, and I, I think that it'll be interesting to see how it plays out as some municipalities are opting out and are mm-hmm. banning yep. it. Um, and, you know, if you have a joint or gummies and you are in one of those, you go through one of those places or you stop through. Like, I mean, what, how will that, how will those things impact what real effect these, these good intentioned policies actually have on people's real lives? I want to, Get a little bit deeper into that in just a moment, but I want to remind folks it's the Friday News Roundup here on Reset. We're speaking with Chicago Tribune business reporter Ali Marathi, Chicago reporter, editor, and publisher Fernando Diaz, and WBEZ city politics reporter Becky Vivi. We're kicking things off with a look at Illinois' new recreational marijuana industry. Sales at 37 dispensaries around the state kicked off Wednesday. Some other stories we're watching. Homicides and shootings were down in Chicago for the third straight year. That's according to preliminary numbers released by the Chicago Police Department this week. 492 people were killed in the city in 2019. That's a 13% drop from the year before. Meanwhile, Illinois continues to lose population. Census data out this week show the state lost more than 51,000 people last year. That means Illinois has lost more residents in the last decade than any other state. Now, Becky, you mentioned uh, different cities and towns who are deciding whether or not to allow recreational dispensaries to set up shop. So we have suburbs like Naperville, and Highland Park who have said no, whereas nearby uh, towns have said, yeah, sure, come on. And here's a bit of Highland Park Mayor Nancy Rotering speaking about some of her concerns. You know, I have to be honest, there's a, a real need on the part of the federal government to sort of pull this in and make this a business just like everything else. When you think about how the financing has gone on, if you think about the fact that credit cards aren't accepted, when you think about marijuana as a parallel to the sale of alcohol, That's been carefully regulated, that's been carefully addressed, but it's also under the umbrella of the federal government. So too should marijuana go. And I think once that occurs, then a lot of the questions that come up, both in terms of paying for it, where it's located, and so forth, will be addressed. Your thoughts, Becky? Well, I mean, I think that there's, that's that's part of the big debate is like, does this, is this something that should be just be dealt with at the very top, and then doesn't create this patchwork of regulations and rules from municipality to state to state to municipality to municipality. It's an interesting take. You know, I think there's probably a lot of folks in these places who would say, no, no, we want we want control over it. We don't want the federal government to say like that you have to allow it. I pulled the, uh, a list from the Chicago Tribune has been tracking this in a map. And a lot of the towns that are banning it they don't need the revenue. They're wealthier. Many are, you know, more family-friendly places. You've got like DuPage County and Kane County, the whole county, um, saying they're going to hold off. And you know, Naperville is an interesting case too because they're planning to put a question to a referendum in March. So it's not that these places will forever ban it. It's also a, a question of will they 
adjust or change over time. But at this point, they're not. We should mention Highland Park has a medical marijuana dispensary, but they've only banned recreational sales. Yeah, there's three that I count that are in places that have banned recreational sales, but that you know, the medical dispensary still is there. Mm-hmm. Well, Allie, Tribune reporters headed out across the state to see how the rollout of recreational weed would go on day one. What stood out to you from that reporting? Well, one of the things is that people are willing to line up and wait hours in line in the cold, you know, to get in and buy their weed. It was interesting. You know, no one that I talked to seemed to be in bad spirits at all about that. They were it was quite the scene. You know, the dispensaries were passing out free donuts, coffee, hot chocolate, all that kind of stuff to kind of dodge the people that were waiting in the cold. I was at a dispensary like at 5 a.m. before it opened at 6, talking to people in line. And um, there was a bit of a glitch. Um the cash registers weren't talking to the state system that tracks sales, and so that was holding people up. But people kind of said, hey, you know, it's the first day we expected there to be a glitch. You know, but the thing that I think is interesting going forward is that these dispensary operators are telling me that they're expecting the long lines to continue um, well through the weekend, even with the shortages. There was one dispensary operator that I talked to downstate, and, you know, he I talked to him yesterday morning, and he was saying, all we have left are chocolate bars and, like, a few other things. And like I said earlier, the flour that you can smoke is one of the most popular things. That's what everybody goes wanting. So they were going out into the line and talking to people and saying, hey, FYI, this is all we have. Well, the people were saying, hey, if we can't buy anything, we just want to see the inside of a dispensary. Well, what does this mean for medical users? I know they get priority when it comes to sales, but is there enough of a shortage that they could be blocked from purchasing what they need. So, yeah, it's built into the law that the dispensaries have to set aside a certain amount for the medical patients. Um, so in a lot of the cases, they're not ex- they're not having to deal with a buying limit, right? In many cases, they can get what they want. It's fine for them. It's just the recreational customers. However, I was working on a story um, a couple weeks ago before this law went into place, and a lot of patients were saying there already are shortages. And, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt because there are so many different products you can buy at these dispensaries nowadays, it may be that the strain they like is out or the certain product they like is out and there are other options. But it's still something that for a few months now, patients have noticed. Fernando, is there an aspect of the story we're not covering as deeply as we should? You know, we had a lot of folks out on the street talking to folks who were in line to buy and, you know, some of it was kind of jokey and funny. But yeah. but is there a bigger question here that, that we need to pay attention to? I mean, I think it's very early. And so a lot of the reporting has necessarily focused on the rollout. You know, if there was a glitch in the state system that had knocked it down, imagine that would have been the story, right? Mm-hmm. I think the, the the tremendous demand, I mean, is a legitimate story. So what is going to happen? Are they going to have to make accommodations for more growers? Are they going to be able to bring in flour from other states? I mean, mm-hmm. it's brand new. I mean, we were also saying, Ali and I were saying this before, we've been leading up to this moment, but really it's just started, right? So now the state is going to have to figure out like there was the law and the intent and now this is actually practice at the chicago reporter for us it's going to be a continued focus on what this means for the war on drugs marijuana is still outside of that range and the sort of like uh, use is prescribed in law illegal it's still a federally controlled substance use you can't deal right like there's a lot of things and a lot of people who have been negatively impacted by the war on drugs last month or the month before the city council began looking at whether or not to decriminalize psychedelics so i think there's a larger question around you know what does this mean for our state what does this mean for our society i was reflecting with my wife i'm 40 you know when i was in high school 
marijuana was taboo. It was illegal everywhere. You had to know somebody, right? And so to be raising children now in a country that is largely now decriminalizing, there's even conversations at the federal level about decriminalizing marijuana. We're very early here in the state, so I think the coverage has been strong. I think it's just now more about the accountability. Like, are we really living up to the social equity measures that really made Illinois' by you know statute decriminalization unique? Allie, what other stories will you be following in the coming years, specifically around this question of recreational pot? Yeah, definitely some of the new entrants into the business, right? So there's the 75 dispensaries that are going to be opening. Um, there's all these different kind of licenses that the state's going to be awarding. There's going to be something called a craft grow license where you can open, like in the city, for example, a smaller business that grows marijuana. There's transportation licenses, so you can be the person that drives the product from the dispenser or from the grow facility to the dispensary. So that kind of thing. There's a pretty robust business behind the testing of the marijuana as well. Um, how much THC is in it? Are they using pesticides? That kind of stuff stuff. Um, We've seen that in other states. And then as well, just the accountability, right? Illinois, for example, their social equity component is one of the biggest we've seen so far. Other states, I know Ohio is an example, um, have put certain aspects of social equity into their laws. And you've seen... um, it falter in a way. You know, there have been lawsuits that have challenged it, that sort of thing. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. There are also some new taxes and fees to know about in Chicago. So with me in studio to break it all down for you, we have Ali Marati of the Chicago Tribune, Fernando Diaz of the Chicago Reporter, and WBEZ's own Becky Vivi. Now, Becky, of course, we don't have time to cover all 250 right. plus <laughs> new laws, but I want to just zoom in on a few of them. Uh, and let's start with the removal of the statute of limitations on major sex crimes. Explain this change. Right. So this could be called the Dennis Hastert change, if you will. You know, folks may remember a couple of years ago, it came to light that um, this is the former U.S. House Speaker had abused uh, boys, young boys, while he was a wrestling coach at Yorkville High School. That was back in the 60s and 70s. Came out decades later that he had been paying hush money to one of them. And basically, this change to state law would eliminate four certain um, sex crimes, so criminal sexual assault, aggravated criminal sexual assault, and aggravated criminal sexual abuse. There will not be Uh limits. Basically, the limits used to be that if um, you had three years to report a sex crime happening, and then prosecutors had 10 years to bring a charge. Um, So again, like you think about these cases where it's decades later and it's coming out, Prosecutors cannot bring charges um, on that specific part of the crime. So that has changed. And that, um, you know, like I said, is kind of a big one that came in the wake of this very high profile scandal. Well, Fernando, another law makes it possible for people to have a gender neutral option on driver's license. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not in effect quite yet because the Secretary of State has to rework its system before a non-binary option becomes available. But just explain where, where this change came from. According to some of the, uh, some of the legislation, um, some of the language that they were uh, debating in this bill, a study discovered that 30% of trans Illinoisans who have shown an ID with a name or gender that did not match their gender presentation were verbally harassed, denied benefits or service, asked to leave an establishment, or assaulted. Um, and so I think this is an effort to try and provide that uh, level of equality. Uh, according to a piece in Windy City Media, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Indiana, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Nevada, Oregon, and Vermont 
um, either offer or have offered gender neutral designations on driver's licenses. Also, uh, any establishment that has a single occupancy restroom now needs to be gender neutral. So uh, I, I think I think this is a very progressive set, you know, measure by our state, um, and hopefully there'll be more. Well, Allie, there's also some com- consumer protection laws that went into effect, and one jumped out to me because I heard folks saying, "Hey, I'm going to buy as a as a Christmas present, you know, I'm going to get 23 and Me for for a family member." Um, but there's a specific consumer protection law that went into effect that focuses on genetic testing companies like 23andMe and how they use the data they collect. Explain this. Yeah, I think it's always interesting the conversations that come up around the holidays with these types of services, right? Because right? they can raise a lot of issues with a family member that maybe they don't want to know that they're predisposed to a certain condition. Um, but yeah, so the use of those services has been going up, but so has the concern around you know your data privacy, right? So what this law does is um, force those services to notify customers if they're going to share their health data and their DNA data with, um, you know, a health company or an insurance company. You know, imagine if, say, an insurance company knew that you were predisposed to having high cholesterol and then decided not to cover, you know, some sort of heart procedure or something like that. They saw you as a risk. And that's just the concern. And I haven't heard of any of that happening, any of that sort of discrimination happening. But the lawmakers said that it was they wanted to jump the gun on that and make sure that um, the consumers were protected. And it's interesting timing, too, because California just passed a law that is similar but broader, where basically all tech companies have to tell consumers if they're going to sell their data. And because that's happening in California, a lot of the big tech companies are based there. We'll see trickle-down effects here in Illinois as well. Well, Becky, there are also some changes that went into effect that are aimed at making it easier to fight sexual harassment Mm -hmm. and abuse in the workplace. First, just there's a story behind these measures. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things, again, I'll call this the Me Too change. Mm So a little over a year ago, I mean, there's been a conversation at the state level about sexual harassment in the workplace and how to address it and actually how to basically tackle it in these sort of what I would say are like the black hole areas. And one of the big things that came out of this particular law is that, you know, state officials, employees and lobbyists will have to go through annual sexual harassment training. Now, you know, folks, you and me in our workplace probably go through this every year, but there are a lot of exemptions, and um, state state lobbyists is one of them. There's just new, tighter kind of restrictions on this. Um, folks may remember, again, this was about a year, maybe more than a year ago now, um, with uh, sexual harassment allegations under House Speaker Michael Madigan and the lawsuit brought by Alina Hampton. And there was a whole study done by some uh, female lawmakers about the effects of this on state government and on other uh, workplaces in, in Illinois. And so this law uh, and package of laws really are designed to address that. One other thing to note in there that I thought was very interesting is hotels and casinos will now have to give their workers devices that that allow them to notify or alert security or managers if they feel they're being sexually harassed by either another worker or a, you know, a customer in that establishment. Well, uh, Fernando, one other uh, law that jumped out to me, these are some specific measures focused on uh, people who are incarcerated, Mm -hmm. their voting rights, um, and access to resources while they're incarcerated. Give us a rundown of what changed this year. I think there's a lot of confusion with folks, um, justice-involved individuals, not knowing and not being educated about whether or not they still preserve their voting rights. Um, In many cases, they still have their voting rights, um, but they've moved, they've been incarcerated, their family has moved, maybe they're 
residence has changed. Um, so uh, this year, which is an election year, it's pretty awesome, uh, uh, the law will require that Cook County Jail set up temporary polling places and other counties where people are awaiting trial so they can vote by mail. So this would allow inmates to, you know, basically op- become aware, be given materials so that they can be registered once they leave uh, the facility. Um, This is a huge step. There's three other really important measures, which is providing uh, civics education and then job search, uh, which, you know, Internet is restricted. Internet access is restricted while you're incarcerated. Um, so this opens up a little bit there. And then the, the, another last one, which I thought was amazing, prison copays um, have been a problem. Inmates were required to pay a $5 copay, which didn't even cover the cost of um, the services that they were provided. Uh, HB 2045 actually eliminated that copay for, for juveniles. A similar measure for adults was vetoed under Rauner, so we'll see if there's a change there. Um, But there was a lot here from a criminal justice reform standpoint. It's the Friday News Roundup here on Reset, and we're speaking with Chicago Tribune business reporter Ali Murati, Chicago reporter, editor, and publisher Fernando Diaz, and WBEZ city politics reporter Becky Vivi. We're running down some new laws that went into effect this week in Illinois, and we're going to head over to some new taxes and fees you should know about if you live in Chicago. Some other stories we're watching, Illinois Senator Dick Durbin is expressing concern now that the Pentagon has confirmed a U.S. airstrike killed one of Iran's top generals in Baghdad. Durbin says, quote, the killing of Iranian General Soleimani invites even further escalation by a president who has a poor record of judgment in dealing with world powers, end quote. And almost half of all Chicago public schools are in buildings that are officially underutilized. That's according to annual space utilization data put out by the school district. The district says it's not planning on using that information to close schools this year. All right, Becky, let's talk money. As of January 1st, people who drive in Illinois are likely to fill an impact on their pocketbook. So let's start with the change in parking fees in Chicago in both garages and at the meters. Mm-hmm. So the the state law, there was a state law that increased the tax on garage parking. That's 6% on daily and hourly garages, uh, or garage parking, I should say, because a lot of them offer both. 9% on monthly and annual rates. And then in the city of Chicago, the city of Chicago implemented um, increases to parking meter fees, 50 cents more downtown, and in the West Loop, $2.50 more per hour. They're also going to add more meters in the West Loop. And this uh, stems from the lovely contract that the city has with um, a private company to o- to operate and own our um, parking meters for many, many years. It was not a popular contract in 2008, but the city basically is on the hook for something known as a true-up payment, which is sort of like as inflation goes up, the city does owe the meter company a certain amount. And if the income from the meters doesn't meet that, the city dips into other coffers. So Mayor Lori Lightfoot says, we don't want to dip into other coffers, so we're raising the rates on those meters in order to make those payments to that company. Obviously unpopular, but um, it it won't hit neighborhoods for a little bit. Neighborhoods will likely increase in a couple of years um, because there was a measure in what was passed that says, basically, as inflation goes up, the neighborhood meters will increase by about a quarter. Well, so. Fernando, even if you're trying to avoid parking yeah. uh, in part of the city, so you're like, oh, I know, I'll Uber, I'll Lyft. That's ne- not necessarily going to save you money. <laughs> no, yeah. Now we actually have, according to uh, Heather Sharon, whose piece was published in um, Block Club, the highest ride-hailing fee in the nation. So it's going from $0.72 cents to $3 for rideshares, Uber, or Lyfts that you're taking from the Central Business District, near Northside, West Loop, and out. It's uh, intended to address congestion, and it's expected to raise about $40 million. 
but it's going to cost consumers. It's going to cost drivers. Like this is not going to cost Uber and Lyft. They're going to end up, you know, putting that cost back on the users. And Allie, even dining out is going to get a little more expensive. What kind of jump are we seeing there? Yes, yeah, so there's a couple different things that could impact that that are going on here. So um, in the city of Chicago, they're raising their tax on uh, restaurant meals. They're doubling it actually from 0.25 percent to 0.5 percent, and that's already on top of Chicago sales tax of 10.25 percent. Um, which is pretty high compared to other cities in the nation. And then if you're eating downtown or at the airports, there's going to be an additional 1% food and beverage tax. So there's kind of a few different things there. And then additionally, um, you know, low-wage workers across Illinois are going to see a, um, be getting a raise this year, um, an increase of a dollar. Mm-hmm. And in Chicago, that'll continue, you know, over the next couple of years in Chicago. The minimum wage is currently $13 an hour. Later this year in July, that'll increase to $14. Um, and then the next year, that'll go up to $15. So that could um, end up trickling down to customers at restaurants. Any other taxes or fees you think we, we aren't talking about that we I should mean, know about? Yeah, so there's a, there's a new tax on the cloud, so streaming services, um, and and there are a lot of other kind of little like ins and outs to all of these. And, and I would say all of this stems from the city's 2020 budget, which got a lot of discussion last fall. And you remember this, Jen, and I came on the show and talked about it. And the city was facing a very large deficit. And in order to shore up its budget, <laughs> there were things that were done that, you know, they wanted to I guess, target these things instead of doing a big property tax increase, for instance. They did do a small property tax increase for library hours. But all of these little things um, are are aimed at shoring up revenues. And I would argue, I mean, I guess I would say, too, this is going to continue to be a conversation because the city is still facing shortfalls into the future. And so these little areas, they're kind of tinkering around the edges, but they do provide, you know, 40 million here, 20 million there. And they're supposed to provide those amounts annually. So, you know, the argument from the administration is that they're trying to go not towards regressive things, but towards, you know, these like luxury kinds of items, restaurants, Ubers, you know, these things that are user-based fees. Only if you use them do you have to pay them. So I guess that's what I would (laughs) remind everyone is as you start to see these maybe hit your own bank account and you're looking at your Lyft receipt like, wait, where was this? Where did Mm -hmm. this come from? That's what that's all about. Well, just as we wrap up here, this is the first Friday News Roundup of 2020. Fernando, what are you going to be watching this year? We have a lot of investigations going on, not the reporter, but federal investigators down in Springfield in the city council. I think there's a lot yet to unfold. The primary, hello, there's an election coming. (laughs) So we've got that coming in March. Um, So I think between uh, sort of like the unfolding corruption investigations and just what's going to happen locally and what's going to happen at the national level, uh, we'll be looking at that. Allie, what about you? It's all weed all the time for me (laughs) (laughs) the next couple of weeks at least. So we'll see what unfolds with all of that. Becky, you get the last word here. Yeah, and I think um, I'm watching both of those things, but I also am very interested to see what the new administration in the city um, really does do with, you know, the weed industry and other industries to actually have robust development in parts of the city that have not seen it and that get a lot of lip service about it. Um, I really wonder how Mayor Lori Lightfoot is going to really drive investment into the south and west sides and, and actually make those robust and thriving communities again. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. With us today, WBEZ City Politics reporter Becky Vivi, Fernando Diaz of the Chicago Reporter, and Ali Marati of the Chicago Tribune. Thanks, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. 
That's it for today's Reset. Now remember, a Sunday Reset drops in your feed just in time for that Sunday morning coffee. We'll talk with Daily Show correspondent and stand-up comic Dulce Sloan. Until then, have a great weekend. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon.